This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Peter Walker, the editor at FS Tech, and today we're talking about financial fraud. Now, with everyone from the chief executive to the graduate recruits now working from home, there has been a significant spike in the instance of authorised fraud since the coronavirus lockdown began. As staff are unable to go through the normal security checks, cyber criminals have been taking advantage of dispersed teams and playing people off one another with scam emails purporting to be from senior management requesting urgent money transfers. Uh, This podcast is a discussion on how to tackle this problem and other cybersecurity threats thrown up by uh, COVID-19 with uh, Robert Thal from Nice Actimize, a provider of financial crime risk and compliance solutions. He's a resident fraud and authentication expert there who, prior to joining um, the provider in 2019, worked for a variety of risk management and fraud prevention roles at TSB, RBS and NatWest. So without further ado, uh, let's get into the questions, Rob. I gather this type of fraud was already growing, but has kind of exploded since the pandemic took hold. Can you give me a sense of the scale of the problem? Yeah, hi, Peter. Um, Yeah, I can. So I think we're looking at sort of um, authorised fraud or often, you know, generically called business email compromise, and that covers a range of things. But the scale of the problem is huge. So uh, late last year, the FBI uh, put out a bulletin where they were stating the problem was about $26 billion globally. Um, And if we look at uh, close to home, in, in my home in the UK, you know, authorised frauds, um, you know, were £455 million pounds for 2019 uh, alone. Uh, and it, it, just to give some comparison, unauthorised frauds in, in remote banking um, uh, were, were uh, only a third of that, £150 million. So it, it's a big number. Um, if we look at how that's uh, affecting predominantly uh, commercial um, businesses, then within that 455 million, 138 million of that was against non personal groups. So, predominantly against uh, being things like invoice, uh, having invoices amended in some fashion. Uh, and, and then, as a subset of that, CEO frauds. Um, so, you sort of highlighted uh, briefly in your intro. So, CEO frauds where um, a senior member of, of staff, whether that is the CEO or maybe the CFO, instructs people within the, say, the payments team or, or someone else to initiate a payment urgently. Um, in the UK, that's been uh, with 16 million for the year. And these are just some, some sort of highlights of the numbers. We're seeing uh, this in multiple jurisdictions across the globe um, to varying degrees. Um, and so certainly, you know, US, UK, Nordics, uh, Australia's uh, is is catching up as well. It is is pretty big. Um, on the business side, the, um, you know, the UK's got quite good now at recording uh, recording this. Um, albeit on the non-personal side, not everyone reports what happens to them and don't want to admit to to these issues unless they're materially large enough that they they have to do so. And so some firms will, you know, are obliged by their, especially if their public companies are obliged to make public statements about them if they're big enough. 
Um, you know, we've seen uh, during the pandemic itself and, and lockdown, we've seen reports via, you know, UK's action for the MCA, Europol, on on the continuing uh, march of these frauds and scams. So they can range from fairly simplistic uh, purchase scams. So maybe uh, you know defrauding people that they think they're buying uh, PPE equipment and and actually there's nothing there, through to uh, invoice manipulation frauds. And and one from last year, just to give an idea of sometimes of the size of some of these, um, you know the Nikkei Group lost 29 million dollars to a fraud. Uh, and other household names have too. And then more more recently, uh, a very complex case um, in, in Norway uh, where the equivalent of $10 million was lost. Um, the, the fraudsters had manipulated both sides of, an, of a, what would, should have been a legitimate transaction to move uh, a large amount of money into their possession. So, uh, you know, this is... Um, is big overall and individually some of these uh the losses are you know significant some pretty you can have some pretty material impacts on the, the organizations that uh, are affected by this yeah sounds like it um, you, you say these attacks are traditionally carried out via email but I, i'm told criminals are increasingly using things like artificial intelligence and deep fake technology to trick their victims yeah, that, that's right. So, like, like the very last example I gave, you know, often the criminals are in email accounts for a long time. You know, it's not just email, but the email compromise is probably the biggest. And so, you know, what that means is then they can they can manipulate both sides of the conversation. Um, sometimes they only manipulate one side, um, but but they'll use AI both in terms of reading historic emails so they especially for the ceo type ones they can then use that data to um, make a uh, an email that will fit how that person usually communicates yeah so so that that more likely to pass muster and less likely to get the person to pull them up um, in that sense but also, um, we've, we've also seen the use of deep fake voices, as you mentioned there. So there's a case last year where a uh, CEO fraud, and there, there was $243,000 transferred because an actual phone call came from the CEO. It sounded just like them. So the person didn't choose to, um, uh, to, to take any other action. They just believed it was the person that had the authority to, to get them to make that payment and they, they did that. So I think it's, you know, it's quite clear that you know, we've got sophisticated organized crime groups here using the latest technologies um, to, to, to defraud um, you know, both uh, commercial organizations and, and financial institutions. Um, and so you know, whilst we do see some poor attempts by um, you know, either opportunists or or the sophisticated gangs that the really sophisticated ones are, are really doing this and I think probably you know the, the numbers I outlined at the start give you a, a good reason why it's worth them investing in these these tools um, to go out there and do that and they do get away with this and they do get to pocket that money um, and by and large you know, with a reasonably low chance of, of of getting caught and and of course they're not um, weighed down by uh, you know 
hefty model governance uh, processes or anything like that to, to put their models and their, their tactics into use and they, they test them, they work, they, they carry on or they, uh, they tweak them. So I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it, that's, that's what we're really seeing. And then, you know, I've sort of mentioned it uh, in passing, but I think what, what's clear here is what they do is it's not just trying to get the words right, it's injecting the, uh, a sense of urgency too, so that people don't take the time to, to think what's happening and why, why is this person asking me to do this? Should I go and check? So they, uh, and that's why the CEO type ones or other senior staff are so effective because people are scared for their, you know, especially now, scared for their jobs. They don't ask questions. They just get on and do it so that that, that, that happens. And if it's been linked to a, a contract or an invoice that was already there, that obviously adds a, a sense of legitimacy to it than a, a, a completely um, new payment being made. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, practically then, what can remote working teams do to tackle these types of authorised fraud? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think key thing is for any organisation is, is educating the teams on what to look out for um, as the first layer of defence. So, you know, the, you know, if you see this, you know, and so partly putting policies in place so that if you don't want your staff to, to be paying away money on an email from someone in the organization, put the right policies and procedures and steps in and say, this will never happen in this format. Um, so but get them out there and make sure they understand that these are the types of fraud that they, can, they could be sitting so they know to ask questions and know to, that, that no one's going to get in trouble for them double checking things and stuff like that. Um, Get them to yeah not not take everything on trust, especially via email uh, or other insecure methods of communication. But it, but even phone calls too. And if it's about if the email's about changing payment details or to, to existing invoices that kind of thing, then again, do be suspicious. Do more checks. Uh, and that's doubly so if if there's some sort of sense of urgency is tried to be put in place. You know that this deal's going to end tomorrow or uh, that kind of, of thing because basically these guys are using you know timeshare double glazing style uh, tactics on people because they work that that you hack the human essentially by getting the, the, them to stop stop thinking clearly through the the urgency and then you know one of the key things then is well okay I, I, do i need to go and validate that somewhere so I'd use a different channel to communicate with the person or company um, that's either you know is trusted or, or you've independently obtained uh, phone numbers etc so those are sort of a, you know, some key things that people can do um can do there but i think the important one is not to be flustered by by the urgency and, and think clearly yeah, I suppose as as much as it's nice to trust your 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 workmates and and your your higher ups, uh, presumably it's key not to rely on trust alone. I mean, cross referencing data internally to avoid what can be potentially very large losses. Yes, that's that's right, and the, the validation is is really you know the key piece here. Um, you know, if if you can get your staff comfortable that you know put the urgency piece to one side and then confirm uh, confirm what they do consult with others becomes a key key defense because especially if that then the other person's less 
concerned about the urgency they'll they'll see see through some of these because a lot of the time there is you know there's there's pieces here if only you know you you can look at it so sometimes that's in emails it might be the is the email from the right type of address how does it fit with other addresses that it's seen has it is it is it just got the right um name in it but it ends at gmail or things like that you know has it got links that you're going to be clicking on um that kind of thing or if they put the account details or the new account details does that tie up does it is it still to a to the same company or does it look like it's to someone's personal account with a with an unusual reference so it depends on the sophisticated nature of, of these exactly how far down they go and change them but but often these things will be there and, and be overlooked so i think um corroborating that and you know are you just in the payments team but you don't have you're not the relationship manager for that company you know do you need to go and consult with that person to be able to do that um and I think then, you know, but also then there's a piece for financial services firms particularly, you know, because they the payments are usually made um, from by a member of staff out of their their bank account, and so for the financial services firm to hold that is, you know, how do they help tackle this? So you know, improve their fraud profiling systems so that they can look for these sorts of authorized frauds as well as just the more traditional unauthorized frauds so that they're looking out for the sorts of things that um we've talked about here and again that you know it's a the beneficiary name doesn't uh, match where the account details are going um you know or is un unusual for that customer to be you know changing the payment to a you know it's the same they've been making a payment to this firm with these account details for for years and now that's changed so those are some very simplistic ones obviously but investing in that can really um really help and, and then is that a different layer so is, is removed from the trust um the trust aspect and i think i think that's key and not just not just assuming that because they the customer logged in and authenticated correctly that that doesn't mean there's an issue there yeah okay uh, are there any other i mean uh, crises like the one we're going through at the moment um unfortunately kind of give opportunities to criminals are there any other um areas of fraud that your your team are kind of seeing trending up at the moment or or, or hearing from clients yeah sure so i think yeah one of the core ones is is still still data compromised and it continues to be so uh, and that takes many forms both um you know uh, compromises of, of merchants as we've seen or service providers or indeed just sort of um individual um compromises of, of particular companies through um attacks on their employees but data compromise is usually now that it's sort of probably the largest root cause of most frauds uh whether authorized or unauthorized so that could be uh then going on to i bought some bought some card details off the dark web to do cardholder not present fraud or as a basis for social engineering for for other frauds so i think data data compromises is a really big one to uh both of uh of your customers data or of your own data or if you're a commercial enterprise you know your yeah, you know things that are pertinent to you that can then be reused to hold you in at a later point and then from there you get to things like credential stuffing so this would be um where again credentials from data compromises are then um the fraudsters 
aut use automated tools to go and look for pairs that, that actually work at different institutions because people reuse them um, uh, or use vari variations on this with usernames and passwords. So they can use tools to automate them, not ideally not trip anything up at those organizations. And they've found ones that work. Um, they can then go about uh, defrauding those uh, customers and institutions from that. So being able to detect that and, and block uh, block those credentials is is key. Um, and I think one of the other ones then leading on from that, and with all the sorts of frauds that we're seeing, is there's usually, if not all the time, uh, at least one mule account, if not more, involved where the funds are transferred to. Um, and so being able to undertake um, you know, as a financial services institution, undertake um, the right kind of profiling to look and detect mules, bringing in external intelligence as well, is is, is really key um, because it gets harder and harder to put more and more preventions in place on the paying side um, in these authorised rules. But you know, there's more. There's a lot more that can be done on the beneficiary side to to either stop these accounts from being being abused in the first place, or more likely. Once the funds have come in, stop those funds going back out again. And I think that's going to become, um, or well, is becoming of growing importance as as regulators uh, are are getting more interested in this piece. And it's not just the the paying banks that need to do stuff; the beneficiary banks need to too. So that's things like the contingent reimbursement model in the UK, and that puts some onus on the beneficiary banks to do stuff. But also within the Estonia regulator mandate, uh, you know, things like real time. Um, profiling for, for transaction monitoring there as well. So I think that's only like as these values and volumes increase, um, you know, we'll see increasing regulatory interest in that space and as the fraud and, and money laundering sides uh, sort of converge to some extent. Okay, you, you've just started doing it there. But yeah, I, as a kind of final question, I'd like to kind of look ahead. I wonder if you've got any predictions on 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 what's going to happen in this space? I mean, it seems like it's a kind of cat and mouse. So um, what's what's likely to come from the criminal side and, and how are kind of technology firms like yourselves and financial firms, what are they doing to protect themselves? What can they use in terms of technology in the future? Yeah, sure. So I think, well, you know, it's going to continue. This is a very rich source um, uh, you know, rich source of, uh, of income for fraudsters uh, and, and to some extent money launderers alike. And so, uh, you know, with with the pandemic particularly, we, you know, we've seen an acceleration of existing trends to towards more e-commerce and more digital banking. Um, and what that does is that all changes the the, the it both increases the volume of transactions, which has an impact on. Um, how easy it is to find frauds there, but it also changes the both the genuine customer behaviour and the fraudster behaviour. So people need to go back out and and and, and retune and optimise what they've got and look for for different patterns than they were looking at before. Uh, and let's just deal with the, the the big increase in volume. Um, but that also means there's, there's there's a continuing balance to be had with uh, you know customer experience and and fraud prevention is no good just saying, oh, well, this because this is the first time. 
someone's using their you know uh, card to do order uh, their grocery shopping online you know and they're over a particular age or whatever we're gonna we're gonna decline that transaction the first time that you know, can't be as blunt as that so there's a there's an awful lot there to get the balances correct from people um, but I think there what, what we need to see is is firms um, you know build out their platforms to be truly digital first so you know people can start and finish uh, applications for, for, for services uh, truly online so getting all the steps that they need in place to be able to do that um, and um, and then complete their transactions digitally and, and securely. So, you know, it requires investment all the way along. So improving your onboarding, bringing onboarding and ongoing fraud monitoring together so they can be looked at holistically and utilize those things all the way along the, the chain so that you can, I mean, really get to a proper, you know, customer lifecycle risk management process so that you, you can you know, leverage the investments you're making so if you're using, if you start to move towards, uh, you know, utilizing um, tools to uh, check um, passports and such online and with the machine learning to be able to do the uh, matching between a, an image and, and a, a picture um, of, of that document, then that, that you can reuse that for onboarding, make that work well for you, pick out the frauds that's there, but also then reuse that information uh, and those processes for improving um, ongoing processes. Uh, so maybe checking that some sort of step up authentication step if it's a high risk transaction later on, uh, or or if you know you've had a fraud and you want to check whether it was your customer or not, made that again using that in that space. So I think there's a whole range of pieces there to leverage that that people can do. So I think. What we'll, what we'll probably see is we'll, we're already starting to see some institutions across the globe get to that place. Um, and as with all of these things, you know, it's there's pockets of it now that all goes will increase. But that really plays into those who are a bit late to do it. That if that leaves them either, you know, they haven't got the propositions that customers want in terms of digital, or that they've got propositions but they don't have the right actual real controls and security and, and risk frameworks behind them that they then get attacked more than the others because that's the next thing these these you know the fraud guys really do they are predominantly organized and if if they, they go where the barrier is lowest um, and then they can get their money first and if that's you then they, they will come and they will Hit you hard. So these investments uh, and leveraging the existing investments is, I think, key um, key to keep people uh, moving in the, in whatever the new normal is. Okay. Thanks for answering my questions, Rob. Um, before we finish, where can our listeners find out more about this topic and and the work that Nice Actimize is doing? Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Um, so um, you can head over to our, our website, niceactimize.com. Um, you can see uh, blogs by myself on this topic and, and, and others uh, and, and numerous other professionals in the financial crime space at niceactimize.com um, nice slash blog. And if you've got any you know, individual questions uh, on this topic or any other sort of fraud topics, then you can fire those over to uh, ask the experts at niceactimize.com.
uh, as well. Uh, email those over, and we we can get there. And obviously, you can can follow uh, uh, Nice Actimize or indeed uh, myself on on LinkedIn too. So, and hopefully, um, you know, we we do uh, respond to those emails that come in from people and and have a look. And sometimes we know them. Sometimes we have to uh, do a quick research, depending on how how good they are, uh, uh, how difficult their questions are. But um, you know, really. Uh, like to engage with uh with people out there on on these topics because i think it's as we went through this is these are you know issues that affect everyone and and by and large fraud and financial crime is a non-competitive space and you know being able to help secure the ecosystem is beneficial for everyone so um look forward to hearing from people and thanks again peter for your time excellent yeah okay well uh thank you very much again and thank you to our listeners Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.